0: Section eighty two of The Golden Gems of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. The Golden Gems of Life by Emery Adams Allen and S c ferguson section 82 meditation meditation is a soul's perspective glass whereby in her long removes she discerns god as if he were near at hand it is thinking not growth that makes the perfect man or woman hence life may be said to have commenced WHEN THE MIND LEARNS TO MEDITATE UPON ITS NATURE, ITS POWERS, AND ITS POSSIBILITIES. THIS IS THE COMMENCEMENT OF TRUE SOUL GROWTH. TO LIVE WITHOUT THOUGHT IS NOT LIFE. IT IS SIMPLE, barren EXISTENCE. THERE IS IN YOUTH A NATURAL IMPULSIVENESS WHICH IS HIGHLY DETRIMENTAL TO THEIR BEST INTERESTS. In itself, this is not wrong, but personal usefulness depends upon its being controlled and brought into subjection to the judgment. The first and hardest lesson of life to learn is to subdue and chasten the inborn impulses of the soul. His soaring ambition, his reckless hopes, his daring courage must be held in check by the reign of sober sense. The curb and bit must be put on and drawn tightly, and this must be done by his own hand. In his hours of meditation he must form his pans, lay out his work, breathe his prayer for victory, and swear eternal feti to his purpose of right. In the still chambers of thought he must rally his moral forces, pledge them to duty, and call aid from above in his solemn work. Others may assist him by encouragement, by advice and solemn warning, but the work is his own. If he has learned to think, he has within an element of safety found nowhere else." What can be more distasteful than the actions of impulsive people? Today they are born on the gale of the wildest pleasure. They are more giddy than the feather tossed in the breeze. Tomorrow, in darkness of spirit, despairing and wretched, because their hot brain fancies failed to give them peace and joy, Today they thoughtlessly act as their impulses lead them. Tomorrow they are full of regrets about mistakes and blunders of yesterday. They give full vent to whatever impulse feeling happens to come uppermost, changing more often than the wind, and reflecting as little upon their variations. It is the office of meditation to train and subdue these impulses the fault is not in the joyousness of spirit which accompanies useful action but in the impulsiveness with which they are indulged the feelings come forth as masters whereas they should be servants subdued but joyous they should be submissive and obedient children of the wall doing its dictates with acuity and power they should make the intellect more active the affections more warm and deep and the moral sense more varied and strong the fruit of meditation is propriety of action there is a single and beautiful prosperity pleasing to all which gives grace to the manners and loveliness to the whole being which all should strive to possess it is neither too grave nor too gray too gleesome nor too sad, nor either of these at improper places. It is to be mirthful without being silly, joyous without being foolish, sober without being despondent, to speak plainly without giving offense, grave without casting a shadow over others. Meditation should sit on the throne of the mind, as the counselor of the mental powers and thus by early habits of obedience even the passions will become powers of noble import contributing an energy and determination that will wrest victory out of every conflict and stress out of every struggle to secure this blessing one must early learn to hold counsel within himself over every desire and impulse that rises within him, over every action of the soul, and see that at all times obedience is yielded to the dictates of the council. To be successful in this he must be always watchful, always guarded, always striving for the most perfect attainment of the great object before him. He who cannot command his thoughts must not hope to control his actions all mental superiority originates in habits of thought take away thought from the life of man and what remains you may glean knowledge by reading but you must separate the shaft from the wheat by thinking the value of our thought depend much upon the course they take whether the subject in hand be examined fully and carefully or only given an undecided glance whence our thoughts revert to other matters to be treated in the same desultory way many minds from want of training can not really think it is of great importance that right habits of thought be formed and fostered in early life a person may see hear read and learn whatever he pleases but he will know very little beyond but he will know very little beyond that which he has thought over and made the property of his mind become master of your thoughts so that you can command them at your pleasure whenever you read have your thoughts about you make careful observations as you pass along and select subjects upon which your thoughts shall dwell when your book shall have been laid aside he who reads only for present gratification and neglect to digest what he reads nor calls it up for future contemplation, will not be likely to ever know the extent of his own powers, for the best tests calculated to make them known will remain unemployed. Consider the great field which is open before you, into whichever department take your way. You will be amazed at the magnitude and grandeur of the objects by which you are surrounded and your mind will be filled with the most exalted conceptions of the goodness wisdom and power of the creator we cannot guard too much against indulgence in thoughts which trivial as they may at first appear would give a cast to our whole character should they become settled habits Impure thoughts are seeds of sin. If dropped into the soil of the mind, they should be cast out immediately. Otherwise they will germinate, spring up, and bear fruits of sinful words and acts. Few consider the power and magnitude of thought. Man is not as he seems, nor as he acts, but as he thinks. It is the thoughts of man, and not his deeds that are the true exponent of his character deeds make reputation thought makes character deeds are the paper currency of thought stamped in the mint of purity thoughts surpass deeds in power and grandeur in the same ratio as character surpasses reputation many lives are wrecked through thoughtlessness alone If you find yourself in low company, do not sit carelessly by till you are gradually drawn into the whirlpool, but think of the consequences of such a course. Rational thought will lead you to seek the society of your superiors, and you must improve by the association. A benevolent use of your example and influence for the elevation of the fallen is a noble thing, even the most depraved, are not beyond such help. But the young man of impressionable character must at least think and beware, lest he fall himself a victim. Think before you touch the wine cup, remember its effects upon thousands, and know that you are no stronger than they were in their youth. Think before you allow angry passions to overcome your reason. It is thus that murder is wrought. Think before in a dark hour of temptation you allow yourself to drift into crime. Think well ere a lie or an oath passes your lips, for a man of pure speech can only merit respect. Think of things pure and lovely and of good report. Think of God and of heaven, of life and duty, and your thoughts being thus elevating and inspiring. Your life will be full of good deeds and pleasant memories End of section eighty two Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver BC